Welcome to the Story Paths podcast, where we explore links between story and culture. I'm Theodore Lowry, your host. I'm excited to announce that, as of March 2023, I've released my first on-demand creativity course. It's on Skillshare, nestled within a library of great creative courses, and if you're not already on there, I've got a link in the show notes where you can get a free month. My course is called Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas. In it, I guide you through finding ideas within your memories, working with them as symbols, and learning to deftly combine and recombine them into meaningful stories. There's a trailer for the course there in the show notes, along with the free link. Hope to see you in there. And so, we begin. When the dragon is the maiden is, the hero is, the villain is, the king. When your joy brings you deep and your sorrow gives you wings, then you'll know you're in a time when anything could be. When fish swim in the desert and trees grow from the sea, hey, hey. Upside down, sideways and round we go. We find ourselves in a time when we can grow again. Where atmosphere meets outer space, we'll take another birth. After counsel with the angels down in the molten earth. When a below becomes above and above is in your chest, it's time to spin round in a circle singing, devil, he knows best. Hey, hey. Upside down, sideways and round we go again. We find ourselves in a time when we can Welcome to the Story Paths podcast. Today, I'm really happy to be speaking with Jessie Wild. So she is a mother, a drama teacher, an apprentice storyteller, and a lifelong enthusiast of learning everything and anything. When she was young, she became obsessed with Shakespeare and Greek tragedy around the age of 12. So it seemed like the logical path would be acting, but She went to university and then to drama school and realized that she was actually more passionate about the exploration period of rehearsals, the learning and growing. So she toured extensively doing Shakespeare in UK schools and realized how powerful education in the arts truly is and stepped into teaching. So she's now a secondary school drama teacher teaching ages 11 to 18. Jesse, when you described what you're doing to me, I thought well, this is so fascinating. It's the kind of thing I'd like to get into more myself, these story games, story explorations. It's, it's, it's interesting what you're saying about being more interested in the rehearsals, this exploratory phase. And it's, it's very personally rewarding for the people involved, isn't it? So I wonder if you could just 
tell us about the kind of work that you're doing and uh just 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 uh, give an overview and then we can we can get into more more and more of the juice of it because it really is interesting work Um, sad and normally that's the bit that people love you know getting in front of the audience and and getting the applause or, or not um <laughs> and but for me I that was always felt rather empty and I just loved being in the rehearsal room trying things different ways um getting things wrong um was always one of the joys for me of the rehearsal period because it's through getting things wrong that you inevitably come to get things right and um I think that's what really um infused infuses me about teaching drama and and that's one of my favorite things about being a drama teacher is the fact that you can never really be wrong and uh, or the, the kids that I'm teaching there's no right or wrong answers to so much of the work we're doing and I, I absolutely love that and I think it's very empowering for young people to learn that it's okay to be wrong especially in today's world where you know they're saturated with images of perfection and um, from such a young age, they're being forced to choose subjects and choose career paths. And um, so for me, it feels quite rebellious and, and, um, and anarchic to be the teacher that goes, it's fine to get things wrong and, and to mess things up because that's how you'll get the best outcome in the end. Um, so in terms of sort of day to day work, um, obviously, I still have to follow a curriculum um, because it is it's a secondary school. So um, we have set curriculum. I, I love Especially, that, by the way, that just what mm. you're describing there about that space to get things wrong, that space to mm. explore, that space to not try to mold oneself to a particular vision of financial or physical, you know, success. That mm. that chance to see for oneself, like what comes out of me, you know, I, yeah. I, I, it does feel like a rebellion and like a very beautiful, positive rebellion. Mm, yeah, I, th I think that definitely is my favourite thing about it. And those little moments where, you know, someone who perhaps hasn't spoken in my class for weeks suddenly dares to put their hand up and they say something hilarious or brilliant or or totally weird. And everyone else goes, oh, yeah, let's let's go down that path. And suddenly they've opened up a path for everybody else and, and you can see them sort of swell with pride really um and it's a really uh it's a really wonderful thing actually and i I'm, i feel very blessed that i i work in this subject because for me it's not about the performance it's not about the the end game it's about the, the journey that the kids are going on and me too i learn something every single day in my job which i i just adore mm. as well so i'm very lucky um so yeah the, the curriculum is is very free in many ways we have to teach certain skill sets so for example it might be mime or um, improvisation sorry it's a police car going fast but around that it's up to myself and my colleagues just two of us in our department how we teach it and it's so freeing because um like i say we can just explore it's a very explorative subject anyway um mm. and you know there aren't the same rules that you might get in, for example, teaching maths or where there is a right answer to a question. 
you know, for me, mm -hmm. there's never a right answer. And I, I have to remind the kids of this all the time because the way education is set up, or certainly in the UK, it's very goal-based. It's very, it's all about um, levels and percentages and marks and, and progress. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I have to constantly remind them, yeah, you know, it, I, I always say to them, you know, this isn't a, a question. When I ask a question, I say, I don't have an answer to this in my brain, by the way. And they look at me and I'm going, I just want to know what you think. And once they get the hang of that, as they get older, it's it's really lovely thing because they can go, well, I think this and then someone else can disagree. And that's fine, too. So there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of um, new new and fresh ideas coming along all the time. You know, even when I've taught a specific text for, you know, five, six years, every single time I teach it, they'll come up with fresh ideas for it, fresh responses, um, depending on who's in the class and what the demographic is. And um, um, I actually work in a girls' school at the moment, but we teach co-ed with a boys' school in A-level. So, you know, depending on the balance of, of male and female pupils in the class, their response to a text can be different. And and that's, uh, again, very enriching, um, not just for me, but, but for them, I think, to to get this idea that creative thinking is um, open-ended and, mm. <clears throat> and very powerful because of that, I think. Yeah, I love it. And maybe you can describe some of the things you do, uh, some of the exercises or, you know, if you're leading towards performances or I remember you were talking to me about reactions to public mm. events, especially traumatic news stories. Yeah. Um, that's something that really struck me. Uh, yes, yeah. Talk about that event. Yeah, sure. I mean, from the start, when we first get the, the year sevens, as we call them, um, which is about eleven years old, eleven to twelve, um, we're doing lots of uh, sort of physicality and facial expression, and, and we tend to start by looking at stereotype because that's something that they all know. So we might do, you know, a stereotyped grandma or something along those lines and then we start to move into getting a, a little less stereotypical um and so we, we're using exercises like um mime hot seating which is where you interview a character and they have to stay in role um thought tracking is a really interesting one where uh it's usually done in still image um so you might do a still image of a character in a playground who's being picked on and then other actors will speak aloud their thoughts and feelings. So it's hmm. going away from set dialogue, but more about what the character might be thinking internally. Um, the exercise I was speaking to you about earlier um, is something called the thought tunnel. And there's lots of different ways you can do this. But the way I do it is you, you create two lines of pupils facing one another and um, and they will create a sort of soundscape of an event. So the the event that I do this with first is actually 9-11. Um, mm. And so they are creating a soundscape of what they might hear on the street. So it's not necessarily inside the building. We're not doing lots of people, you know, um, getting hurt or losing their lives or, or, because that's quite difficult to recreate without making it a bit farcical. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just literally what you might have heard if you were walking down the street in terms of other people's reactions um sounds all that kind of thing and then then they take it in terms to walk through the tunnel and um and experience what that might have been like and i actually 
since I last spoke to you, I've used this exercise again. Um, we were looking at um, neurodiversity and how people with specifically with an autism diagnosis experience um, the world. And so we created um, a sense of London or any big city really for someone who has that diagnosis. Now, and then, then the kids mm. were walking through the tunnel and experiencing this slightly overwhelming sensory um, soundscape, landscape from the perspective of someone who might have that, that diagnosis. And it was really oh. fascinating. One of the kids actually who has got an autism diagnosis said, it was her idea of hell, um, but she was very brave and she shared with us how it made her feel, which was very, very, um, you know, big learning curve for the others. Um, but one of my other pupils was wearing like a Fitbit watch thing. I don't know what they're called. You know what I mean? And um, What's that? I'm not sure that, what that is. Like, um, so it's, a, it's an exercise, it's a watch, but it, it, it gives you your heart rate and your resting, oh, okay. you, this, that and the other. And number of paces and stuff. Yeah, that kind of thing. She okay. said that when she walked through the tunnel, her heart rate on her watch went up. Now, hmm. that was brilliant because it really showed how actually she was really experiencing this in real time, even though it was just a drama game in the studio. Um, so actually has a physiological, she had a physiological response to it, which is exactly what you want. You know, how many subjects can say that they actually put people in in real experiences and, and give them a, a taste of that so that's amazing yeah it, it it sounds like it really it really increases empathy doesn't it i remember yes. you were telling me that before as well yeah yeah i mean that's the really key thing with that particular unit of work um which we call our media scheme that's the real key thing actually is what we want them to take away from that um, yes, they're learning about those real world events because obviously these are kids that that weren't alive um, when 9/11 happened, for example. But we and we use other media events that they might be more familiar with, like the uh, bomb that happened at the Ariana Grande concert. And um, but they really learn to empathise with how it might feel. So I I try and steer them away from doing pieces of drama where they're all running around screaming and, and, and lying on the floor and oh my leg or whatever it might be, but actually <laughs> get them just to think about um, what it might be like if you were sitting at home watching the telly and that comes on and you've got a, a loved one who might be in that situation. So really starting to look a little bit deeper about human reaction and, um, and how that feels. And then I use a lot of these exercises again. I've just, my, colleague and I have done a lot of new schemes of learning this term specifically mm -hmm. um, to do with well for one year group it was to do with racism um, another was neurodiversity and then the younger ones we, um, we did gender identity and we were looking at the boy in the dress which is a, a UK children's book um, and mm. uh, all the, we, we've used a lot of these exercises um, to really start to think about empathy and you know how it might feel, for example, to to be unsure about your own gender identity at school. I just, I just love this. Hear, hearing this, you know, it's just something inside me is just yes, yes. This is what we need. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. uh, also, I, I, you know, when we when we hear news, 
It's, I mean, we know that news, the mainstream news is very slanted towards negative news. Um, mm. There is a lot of negative news in the world. And one thing that struck me after talking to you last time where we were describing this is that when I hear of some some attack or bomb or something in the world, mm. it feels like it's it's just the event without context, without space to grieve, without space to process it. And mm. it's just a, a stream of traumatic news, really. Yes. And yeah. we become sort of shell-shocked and desensitized. Mm. Mm. Whereas what you're talking about, you know, with a bombing or something like that, to not show the event itself, but to show how people react to it. and yeah. And to to, to get in the shoes of people involved in that or a person struggling with gender identity or racism. Mm. Mm. What, what's it like, you know? And that's, it seems like that's a lot of the power of stories mm. is, you know, a good book, you'll be in the character and they might be quite different from you in mm. terms of their, you know, gender identity and race and uh, ambitions and many other things, but still you, you learn to empathize with them, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And thus when we come into our day-to-day life to empathize more with with people outside of story settings mm. or dramatic settings as well. Mm. And I, I would like to think that teaching people about empathy or, or I don't know I don't know if that's the right word, opening them up perhaps to their innate empathetic skills maybe is the best uh, way. Yeah. Um I'd like to think that it makes them um a more whole person and, and also more able to deal with things that affect them um, because they're, they're, again, they're more open to, to discussion or to looking at things from a different perspective. Um, it's uh, it's so important and I, I feel like it's something that we've been rapidly losing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, 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 I often think that the media have a, a bad role to play in this you know they they, they um report as you said they report on these stories and it's very much facts and figures but also a slight sense of enjoyment if that makes sense you know mm. I, I remember so vividly when 9-11 happened and I was living in London at the time and I, I just found it so overwhelming that they were publishing images of people jumping out of the towers all over the, our papers. In the, I mean, the UK press can be really quite vile, in my opinion. Um, mm. And just this slightly salacious sort of... Um, I was actually talking to some sixth formers about this recently because they um, they looked at a play called BU-21, which is about an imaginary um, plane being blown up over London and how that would affect London. Um, and one of them quite rightly said oh, it's it's like grief porn and I thought yeah that's a really good way yeah. a horrible thing to yeah. say but a really good way of putting it um and I think when we when we get saturated that with that we do become desensitized and that's when empathy just isn't in the arena and that's that makes me very sad because and it seems you know, like it takes some uh some some special effort to unpack things doesn't it like mm. my wife she makes a good point uh, when she was in high school and and before high school, 
you know, in social studies or whatever it's called in different countries where you're learning about history mm -hmm. and cultures coming together and things like that. It, yeah. She said it's just like a, a history of, you know, one guy sacking another, you know, one guy mm -hmm. sacks another city and then they rule there for a while. And then another guy sacks that. And then another guy gets powerful enough to sack a whole bunch of people. And then others learn from that improved sacking technique that that guy exhibited. <laughs> and then they sack, you know, a larger scale. And mm -hmm. she's just feeling like, where are the grief circles? Where can we, can we, can we just be with this? Like, what does it mean to live in a world where there's been so much violence mm -hmm. and that humans are doing this to each other? Is this just how we have to be? What, what can we do to make a better world? That, mm. that that space to to be with it and yeah like you say the grief porn it's kind of it's i don't know if it's connected with a need for truly grieving mm. um but it doesn't fulfill that function oh no not at all not at all you, you read it and then you and you sit there and you think oh it's dreadful dreadful and then you put it down um exactly and that's it it's gone um but it hasn't really gone because, you know, events like that, for example, they, they shape the world we're living in now um, mm -hmm. to, in many ways, a, a very detrimental uh, point, you know, sort of like racism against um, the, the, the Muslim religion or, or whatever it might be, you know, it's, it's had such an effect, hasn't it? And, and, mm -hmm. um, and I don't think we did, or certainly not in the UK, I don't know about in the States, because obviously it happened in the States, but Certainly over here, I think it was very much something to gawp at and to, to be shocked at. But we didn't really think about it, I don't think. Not, not truly. Right. And then there's the next piece of shocking news before you've really had a yeah. chance to figure out what that meant. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's something, <laughs> certainly in UK politics, they're very good at using that as a, as a way of moving on from things that perhaps mm -hmm. we should be talking about more they'll suddenly spring oh well, well what about this and you think well no hang on a minute we haven't actually dealt with that yeah. <laughs> um, and that needs to be dealt with but um yeah emotionally personally interpersonally culturally mm -hmm. to, to deal with it so yeah mm -hmm. if you if you want to maybe you could speak a bit more about what you do in the classes um and how it also affects the students how the how you've seen changes in the students from from going through um, but yeah, maybe you can describe a bit more in detail. I think people, I'm certainly interested to hear more description of the kind of things you do and then also yeah. how it affects the students. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to think that there's so much. <laughs> um, I'm very lucky that, that I have a full timetable. We do a lot of drama at my school, so that's great. Um, I think hmm. uh, one thing that is is a, a really great um uh, learning curve for for the students and this is perhaps for the slightly older students is when we do devising so um, the year 10s and 11s and then the A-level students they they both have a big component for devising in their GCSE A-levels um, and they get given a stimulus so that can be anything from a piece of writing a piece of music um, a picture a poem um, and they create a piece of theatre around that stimulus and that's quite a long involved process. It's at least a term 
for um, for both GCSE and A level. So quite a lengthy process, um, and it's incredible to see their journey from their initial reactions through to their final piece of work, and it will involve research and improvisation and playing with different styles. So you know, for example, um, mm. last year I had a, a group of girls who were doing a piece on. Um, sort of victim shaming um, after a girl has um, been sexually assaulted and they did a lot of research. It was a very powerful piece of work and they couldn't decide. The other thing they have to do when they do this devising is choose a theatrical style and they couldn't decide on whether they were going to do it in the style of Bertolt Brecht, who's a German theatre practitioner, or um, Artaud, who's an expressionistic um, theatre practitioner. And so they tried the scenes in different ways. So the Brechtian um, scenes became quite comic, but hard hitting through through this sort of dark humour. And then the expressionism was very nightmarish and, and disturbing. Um, and through that, they realised that um, actually the more factual and comedic style really got their message across much more powerfully. So it's just mm. it's great to see that sort of exploration going on. Um, and trying the same thing in different styles can really um, can really change the meaning for the audience. It can change what's being communicated, um, and it can change their viewpoint on things. You know, I, I have had kids who who have literally had one point of view at the beginning of a piece of work, and then later on they go, "I I just never thought about it that way," and now I feel, you know. This. So, so that's really, really interesting as well to see through that process of trial and error mm. and changing things and um, that they, they can actually change their own mindset or, or learn and grow through that as well, which is a fascinating process. Yeah, that does sound fascinating. I love that idea of trying out different styles. It reminds me of in artwork. You know, if you're mm. doing a, a portrait painting, if it's a very mm. classical Renaissance style or a kind of graffiti style, because it's the same yeah. person, but how do they mm. come through and uh, how, how does it come across? I just finished reading a graphic novel called I Am, Alfa I Am Alfonso Jones, mm. um, which is about police violence on African-American people. And it's a, a fictional right. story but very much mm. based on real events. And mm. they chose, it's an excellent, excellent book. And they chose in some parts to do narratively, it's a bit discordant, sometimes in a, in mm. a, in a, ha in a happy way, in the sense that you see his life and he's like a ex really excited young man. Like he's really excited in a lot of different things. So you get this sense of him just like going through his day in this moments of, of excitement going around New York and doing selfies with different, uh, different, uh, statues of, of people who are his heroes and things like this and his girlfriend. And, and there's also some discordance in the violent parts of it as well. And mm. there's perspectives of different people and they just, they just really play it out very well. And then the, the style of it is, it reminds me sometimes of graffiti, but it's also very figurative. Mm like a good sense mm. of three-dimensional uh, space and the, the, or the figures, but also this real liveliness of, of graffiti, this hard lines. And, and I just thinking this is to do this graphic novel in this style 
it it's so much about what the character is about in the story. Like it's the kind of style he would really like, you know, it's really lively and dynamic and interesting and fresh and young. Uh, and it fits. And if the whole thing was done, you know, in a really realistic Renaissance style, it would have felt really stiff and it wouldn't have had the same life to it. It wouldn't have fit, you know? So it's, Mm. it's interesting that you're talking about that with, with drama. Yeah. And I'm not Mm. so familiar with different styles of dramatic presentation and things Mm. like that, but that, yeah, Mm. different styles. And when you're saying that, when you describe those two styles, the kind of dark, dark, but humorous, and then the sort of nightmarish one, I thought, oh, the, probably the dark and humorous one that would like get the point across more because it, it yes. carries that darkness. It, it acknowledges that yeah. darkness, but it's there's mm. a kind of ownership mm. of it or, uh, mm. you know, well, the key thing like with Dave, the, the Dave Chappelle, the comedian, he's like that sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The key thing with with theatrical style is um, you're what you're really focusing on is what you want to communicate to your audience. So. If you if you want them mm. to learn something, then you or you want them to experience something, they're two very different things. And so, choosing the right theatrical style mm. to do that is really important. Now, we don't tend to start looking at style until year nine, so they are about uh, about thirteen by then. Um, but with the earlier year groups, what we do is most lessons will start off. There'll be a little starter activity. Then we might have some discussion. Then I'll set them off on a main practical task and then they'll show their work. Um, But the key thing about showing work is actually feedback afterwards. So um, the audience will actually feedback on um, what Hmm. they liked about something, what it taught them or, um, or what they didn't like about something. That's another really important thing in drama is being able to critique, um, and, and to say, right, that didn't work. And I always say, that's okay. You know, that's really important. Um, so even in that younger stage, they're starting to think about that really important um, idea of, of what is being communicated. Because for me, there's no point going on stage unless you are telling the audience something or teaching them something or asking them to experience or consider something from another perspective. So to me, that relationship is absolutely vital. Mm. Um, and that's where later on the theatrical styles come into play. So, for example, uh, one group a couple of years ago did this really brilliant piece about um, it was really dark, actually, children uh, who were experimented on in, in um, Auschwitz and uh, especially twins. And um, so they chose to do expressionism, which is this sort of nightmarish, dark, almost it's almost like horror in theatre um and it was so Mm. brilliant so emotive but you didn't necessarily learn facts and figures from it but you just got overwhelmed with this sense of the horror of it um and they they did it very beautifully because they didn't Mm. over egg the pudding They, they used a lot of fragmented dialogue a lot of um uh, sort of robotic and fragmented movement, which is another key thing in that style of theatre, and it was just so powerful. I mean, it literally, when it ended, nobody in the audience moved or clapped or did anything for about ten or fifteen seconds, mm. which is quite a long time when you've just performed. And they yeah. said, the girl said to me afterwards, "Oh, did they not like it?" And I was like, "No, they were blown away because you like, just <laughs> hit them so hard with that." Um, and uh, and it astonishingly good 
Um, so we do lots of different theatrical styles. We do physical theatre, expressionism, Brecht. Um, we use uh, some of the more modern um, techniques, companies like Knee Height, a, a UK theatre company. Um, and it is all about not what you think is going to look good, but what is going to be communicated to the audience. And that's really key and fun. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Yeah, the message and the story is is the leader, isn't it? Is in making the yes. decisions of of style and so on. Mm, definitely, definitely, and that's partly because I mean I think when you're just doing theatre for an audience in a um, in a theatre, you can do whatever you like, really. But when it comes to the more curriculum based work that I'm doing, it it kind of needs to have a point because obviously they're still being assessed and. Um, I still have to to mark them and or we might get an external examiner coming in and often they have to write about their performances as well um, and what they were trying to communicate and whether they achieved that and what they would do differently next time, which is another really interesting process. So um, sometimes that can stop the freedom a little bit because sometimes they might be doing something and I'll say, yeah, that looks good, but what's the point of it? And but, oh, there is no point. We just like it, and I'm like, "Oh, sorry, but it needs to. <laughs> it needs to have a point." But I think once you step out of the classroom, you don't have to perhaps be quite as um, as contained by that. But I don't think it does them any harm because it keeps the thinking going all the time. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I've I've thought with uh, brainstorming this creative process of coming up with something, mm-hmm. whether it's writing or artwork, it it feels to me like the initial stage. Um, I've, mm. I've found if it's very open, you know, it's like put the editor aside, the editor has mm. his job or her job, but just mm. to try out different things. And then there comes a, t- a, 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 a phase of more evaluation where it's yeah. okay. Yeah. So how did some of that work? And some of it might've been pretty crazy and experimental and, you know, but mm. it might've opened up some doors yeah. Uh, yeah. that, that could be oh, really solid. The, my, my. GCSE students have just um, are just about to go into well in September they'll be going into their big devising piece of work and the last lesson I had with them before we broke up I put each of the so we blew up the stimulus whether it was a picture or, or a quote they're, they're given four at GCSE and they have to choose one and I put the stimulus one stimulus in each corner of the studio and um, put little groups by each stimulus and I said right you've got three minutes to come up with a 30 second um piece and each one i gave a different um uh sort of action to so for one of the stimulus they had to do a soundscape for another one they had to do a piece of physical theater for another one um they had to think about spatial awareness and for another one i can't remember what the fourth one was off the top of my head but anyway and then they, they had three minutes and then they showed them and then they, they switched. So they kept, it was basically a carousel activity. And some of the ideas that came out of it were just fantastic because they had no time to overthink. They just had right. to create. Um, and, uh, and so that was a really great exercise. Um, and it was the first time I'd done it because I went on a course recently and that was somebody else's idea. Um, and that's always lovely as a teacher talking to other teachers and going, wow, that's a good idea. I'm stealing that. Um, <laughs> and then when you, when you bring it to the classroom and it really works, it's great. And so it doesn't always, sometimes it might not work at all. And you go, okay, I'm not using that again, but um, it's always Well, that's fun. your side of things, isn't it? As the teacher, yeah. that 
That's mm-hmm. demonstrating what you're teaching is that you can, yes. you can, you maybe, maybe come out, find an exercise that kind of falls flat and didn't really happen the mm-hmm. way you hoped. And that's okay. Yeah. You just, you just go on, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you can, because obviously I teach um, more than one. So if, for example, in year seven, I have four different year seven classes and essentially I'm teaching them the same classes, but they're different every single time. So on Monday morning, I might teach, uh, I don't know, Victorian melodrama to one class. And then the following day, I'm teaching the same lesson to another class. And it's a completely different lesson. Um, and the outcomes are completely different as well. And that's quite exciting. And that I think that just shows you how you can't, you can never box creativity in. You can never decide how something's going to go. And I've done exercises before with a class that have been fantastic. And I've gone, oh, I'm doing that again. And it falls completely flat the next day with a different group of people. Because maybe I'm teaching them before lunch and they're a bit hungry. And there's so many different things that come into play, you know, time of day, um, the the mix of kids in the class, you know, whether they get on well or whether they don't particularly get on well, that that can have a massive impact as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's all the time. It's a bit you know it's this sort of balancing act or 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 dance I don't know what the best way to describe it is but um yeah it certainly keeps you on your toes and sometimes you can do a lesson and you just think god that was the crappiest lesson I've ever taught and you just think <laughs> oh I'm the worst teacher in the world and then you walk into another class and you're thinking oh I can't do this I'm rubbish at this and then it's brilliant <laughs> so you yeah just, you know. but that's life I suppose it's yeah, it sounds it sounds like such a good uh, addition to life for you as the teacher and for the students as well. Um, because as a teacher, it sounds like, you know, you don't just go in there and sort of, okay, I'm going to deliver the same thing I always deliver. Of course, you have some systems and some ideas and some, you know, uh, different exercises within you, but it's, you, you don't know how it's going to turn out. Whereas you know, I don't want to say, you know, math is teacher, teaching is boring or something like that. I'm sure there's very interesting math teachers also, but I'm just remembering Mm. some of the classes I had in school. uh, And it was kind of like, you either get the right answer or the wrong answer. And if, you you know, how long does it take you to get the right answer? These are the, these Mm. are the questions really. Yeah. Um, Whereas with what you're doing, it's, there's a lot of questions Mm. and a lot of possibilities that can come out Mm. of that. Mm. Um, I think, I think this, the skills are different. You, you know, for me, um, I, I have open-ended outcomes. So mm-hmm. the skill there is um, seeing what's happening and helping that. So we call it scaffolding. So we're not we're not telling mm-hmm. the students which path to go down. We're just helping them to build their own paths, really. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas with something like maths, um, there are set outcomes, and the skill there is teaching them creatively. And allowing every student with different skill sets to access that that outcome, I guess if that makes sense. So I think in many ways, it's yeah, that makes sense. It's creative, but in a different way. Well, I think with with math and subjects like that, which are more quantifiable and definable, the creativity uh, may also be in how you apply it, because mm. it's often okay. You you do your math, and then you become an engineer, and then you get one of these set jobs. But if there was mm. You know, it's like learning to draw. If you're learning to draw in a particular style, 
with realism and shading and where's the light coming from and kind of a Renaissance style mm. that has its own kind of right and wrong within within it as a craft. Uh, but then yeah. how, what you do with it is is where 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 your own decisions and your own creativity come in perhaps more. Yeah. I've got a friend who's super into math, actually. He's quite good at it. Mm. He's a programmer and he's programming all these very interesting things. So he's using these definable, quantifiable skills in a very mm. creative, out of the box way. Um, yeah. Which isn't always encouraged that much, you know? Mm. No. No, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely lucky at my school at all sorts of creativity. And we, we really try and follow this, what we call the growth mindset. Um, so mm. our head of maths, who funnily enough is called Mr. Wild, but he's, he's no relation or, or anything. <laughs> um, he, uh, he's starting, because on Friday afternoons, we don't do lessons. We do different clubs. So I do a theatre design club. And next from next year, he's building a plane with the kids. So they wow. are... They're putting the maths and engineering. I think he's doing it in conjunction with our DT department, which is design and technology. And they are hmm. actually going to build an aeroplane, like a two-man light aircraft, um, wow. and do all the all the engineering, maths, and physics, and all the stuff that I am so bad at. It's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so I won't be joining them, but, <laughs> but uh, it's just brilliant. And I, I love to see that creativity um, in other subjects. I I'm very mindful that, you know, I can get a bit sort of too proud of my own subject being the best because it's the most creative. But actually, I think, you know, with, with the right uh, approach, you can make most things creative, really, um, even if they do have a set outcome that you need to get to. But, uh, yeah. Well, I wonder if you could talk a bit about how you got into this or how a person who's interested in either being a student in a, in a situation somewhat like this, wherever they live um, mm. or getting into teaching and facilitating in this way might get into it. It seems like something, you know, the world could really use more of yeah. this, this kind of open imagination. I think, um, well, I mean, there's so many, there's a lot of different routes into teaching, certainly. Um, and I, I do think that um, a lot of, the way that, that teaching in, in certain schools is becoming a lot more creative. But um, hmm. really for me, I, I mean, I guess I started, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned in, in the introduction, I did a lot of schools touring when I was still an actor. Um, and the bit I liked best was the workshop at the end when we got to sit down with the kids and, and talk about what they liked. And we talked them about stage combat. And, we, you know, I always loved that bit. And then I moved into... Um, just teaching drama at um, local youth theatres um, and getting involved in that way. Um, and from that, I just thought, no, this is, this is what I really love doing. So I, I did the traditional teach training route. Um, but actually, no, I didn't do the traditional one at all. What am I talking about? I actually trained in school. So I was, I was employed to teach, but I was training at the same time. So I kind of had a mentor um, for for my subject and then also a teaching mentor who who actually was a physics teacher but we talked a lot about you know strategies and dealing with parents and dealing with difficult situations where my subject mentor um who's my colleague that I work more closely with our discussions were more about the actual subject and 
and how to get the best out of the pupils. So, um, but there are lots and lots of routes. I mean, in the UK, you can go to university to study to be a teacher, um, and uh, or you can do what I did, which is is train while you teach. Um, I, I think that's personally quite preferable route because you're in there, you're in the classroom, you're learning on the job. Um, mm. And I can imagine that if you've been to college and then you have to go into the classroom, it might be quite quite a shock to the system, really. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of theory before you get the practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. But um, I think my, my key thing, you know, and I said to you in my little um, uh, message earlier that I, I'm a real enthusiast of lifelong learning, and I, I think that that's something that, I wish people would embrace a little bit more. You know, you don't get to 25 and suddenly know everything. In mm. fact, every year that I've been around, I've realized how little I know. And, and the little that I know seems to grow more and more each year. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the more I explore, the more I realize what I don't know. And I, but I actually mm. really enjoy that. You know, I find that um, really exciting. You know, and the, the course that you and I both did with Tom um, has just opened up a whole new universe for me. And sometimes I find it a little bit overwhelming because I think, well, there's so much I don't know and everyone else that I'm talking to is so knowledgeable and experienced. And then I, you know, I gave myself a bit of a talking to and I was like, no, no, it's fine. You're there, you're on the mm. path. So don't beat yourself up about the fact that you haven't got to the end of the path yet because um, mm-hmm. otherwise you'll miss all the good bits, you know. <laughs> um, so I think with anything, anything, creative field or whether it be acting or teaching or it's just taking that step on and seeing where it leads you and listening to other people and asking questions as well that's the really big one for me um Mm. even if you we've been doing a lot of work at school on um inclusivity and diversity and you know i personally realized um after the death of George Floyd, how little I knew about those issues. And um, and sometimes I've had to ask questions that have scared me a little bit because I don't want to come across as ignorant by asking the question. But then I realised that if I don't ask the question, I really will remain ignorant because I won't get the answer. So um, I think that's a really key thing. And I'm always saying to my students, never think that a question is stupid or Oh, I won't ask that because other people think I'm silly. You know, always ask the question. As long as you're asking it from a place of, of respect and uh, an open-mindedness, I think that's that's really key. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, my wife and I were just on the West Coast here. Uh, there's some protests going on at a place called Ferry Creek, and mm. there's there's a lot there's a lot going on there in the protests, not just protesting against Ogroth logging, but it's also a lot to do with colonialism and mm. uh, the indigenous people there being, you know, stolen from and, and, and all of this. So there's mm. a lot of discussion going on about relations between uh, the terminology being used as like settler bodied people and indigenous bodied people. Mm. And, it's something I've tried to learn and keep up on, but I felt like, whoa, I'm, I'm in the thick of it now. And, uh, yeah, feeling, feeling, uh, uh, like I, I, I don't know enough or have enough experience. And at the same time, 
yeah, trying to, you know, without annoying indigenous people with my questions and things like that, but, but mm-hmm. to try to try to not be so shamed about my ignorance and, and the uh, sins of my ancestors that I, I don't bring myself to it as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is really hard that, isn't it? And I, but to me, the biggest danger or the, or the most dangerous people are the ones that think they have all the answers and that the ones that think they don't need to learn anything else mm-hmm. because they know it all. And that for me is, uh, like I say, a very dangerous place to be. And I, I don't want to get too political, but I notice it more with people in this country who are quite right wing. They tend to think they have all the answers um, and, and they never grow, they never. And that goes back to that thing I said about growth mindset. You know, a growth mindset is one that is always asking questions and always open to hearing the answers and to be okay with getting things wrong. Um, yeah. You know, and we, we fear it so much, I think, as people being wrong or as adults, you know. Um, but it's okay to be wrong as long as you're willing to change and and become more right, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it is really part of growing. And I've, I've felt that um, coming into, yeah, Tom Hirons, just a shout out, Tom Hirons, he does... Uh, storytelling <laughs> courses, really good courses, really good teacher. Uh, Anybody's uh, interest, especially oral storytelling. Um, uh, you know, this 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 this, uh, this forum we have where people are sharing all these stories, and I'm just wow, this is a whole world. Like I thought I knew a little uh, bit about storytelling, um, uh, and I felt like that in spiritual life sometimes, where I'll come into a group and like, wow, these people know so much, or environmental Uh, or social issues these people are so versed in it and it can be a little uh, daunting and i guess this kind of it's almost this choice isn't it like should i should i step away and be within the the tier of learning that i've been in and be comfortable there um should i pretend to know a bunch of stuff that i don't really know which is often (laughs) what happens with uh, politicians and things like that Mm. Um, or should I be vulnerable? And it's one of the things I really like about what you're saying, what you're doing with your students is, um, mm-hmm. there's the dramatic aspect of it, which is, which is amazing. And there's also this, yeah, being coming into a willingness to be, to be vulnerable, to be wrong, to be make mistakes in a group, in a group with others yeah. who accept that. And I think mm-hmm. that must make an impression yeah. when a person goes into other areas of their life as well, that it's like, it's kind mm-hmm. of like there's a safety net. Like if I fall, I won't die. I won't socially die. I won't economically mm-hmm. die, you know, or what, or whatever it is, spiritually die. It's, 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 there's a kind of, um, a trust that could, could, could grow in life, you could mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, absolutely and and a trust in yourself that it's okay mm-hmm. to make mistakes it's okay to um give something a go um and that that failure is not the end of the road and and I, again i think for young young people that's very very difficult um to fail in front of others is is really mm-hmm. hard but it's also very very rewarding if you approach it in the right way and i think that's 
mm. you know, almost comes full circle to what I was saying at the beginning. It's what I love about my subject. It gives people that confidence. Um, if you can express yourself and it, it's, it's so vital, I think, but the confidence to, to fail, to give things a go and, and to get it wrong is, is very, very powerful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I think that's probably a good place to, to wrap up. If it, I just want to ask you if there's anything else that I didn't ask that you wanted to say on any of these wonderful topics we've been covering. I don't think so. I hope I've, I've um, sort of said enough about, you know, what we do. It's just it's quite a vast subject. So just thinking yeah. about I know I've only touched on a couple of exercises there, but it is um, it, it really is quite a big topic to talk about isn't it so no it's been really interesting and it's i love um i love having the opportunity to reflect on what i'm doing as well so it's been really nice to think about it and to go oh yeah that is that is really rewarding and and important (laughs) because it sadly it's one of those subjects that i think people think is a bit fluffy and unimportant but um the life skills are are quite out there (laughs) yeah i feel it's so important i feel it underlies all our decisions um, mm. our capacity for imagination, our capacity for risk-taking, uh, mm. for expression. And it just, it just, yeah, I think, you know, Rob Hopkins, he did that. He's helped start the transition town movement and he's got this podcast yeah. from what is to what next. Mm. Um, he talks a lot about that imagination. He brings people on just to imagine possible futures. Like what if we did things right? And it right, just feels yeah. so important to step out of the the limits of imposed by the decisions that have already been made and the ways mm. of thinking that we're used to being in to just step mm. out of that because the solutions probably won't really be found within those paradigms, mm. you know, moving within the paradigms and adjusting things within the paradigms. Probably the solutions we mostly need will be found by stepping back and, and trying thinking in different ways with each other so it Mm. seems like that's what you're really helping students do in your class and that's what you're doing yourself as well yeah yeah so hats off great work (laughs) (laughs) well i enjoy it so sometimes i have to remind myself that it's work so i'm like oh having so much fun today (laughs) yeah yeah i'll bet (laughs) thanks for listening If you like what you heard, I invite you to consider if there's anyone you may know who'd be interested in learning expression and empathy through theatre. If so, perhaps you'd like to send them the link to the episode so they can have a listen. Thanks. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Story Paths, where we finger threads weaving story with culture. Before we go, I'd like to remind you of my new course, Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas, that is now available on Skillshare. If you're looking for a playful, creative space, this may just be for you. You can find the trailer and a link for a free month of Skillshare in the show notes. And as we part, I send my best wishes for you and yours. In the words of the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, May you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, and behind the facade of your life, 
there is something beautiful and eternal happening. And so we close.